Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means taking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. All right, so while we're waiting for everyone to come back up, we'll carry on with the Q&A we've been pretty much running since the start of yesterday. (laughs) There's always more questions. You are a hungry audience. Uh, And then I'm going to finish the confidence and self-belief and then go into dealing with challenges. So hit me. How can I help you? Who wants to start? What's your name, sir? Hi, Matthew. Yeah, it's nothing like a dead. I'm fuck. I've got ten minutes to find my wife in life. Yeah, right. I reckon finding your why is one thing that I wouldn't say is misunderstood. I would say confuses people. Now, there's people like Simon Sinek who've wrote written really good books on this. How, you know, when you know your why, the how will follow. And to, to be successful and driven in your life, you have to have a reason why. But the problem that that has created inadvertently is a lot of people are like, well, I don't know my, what, what my why is yet. So I can't start or I'm lost or I don't know what to do. That's the paradox. Remember, paradox exists in everything. Find the paradox. There's the wisdom. Was that one for you, sir? Find the paradox. There's the wisdom. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Is that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's actually my favourite one. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So, I asked, someone asked me a few days ago and I gave them an answer and I thought that they, they got a light bulb moment. They've been struggling for ages. I think you should try to find your why, but not stop what you're starting and not worry about where you're going before you've found it. So, you know, I said yesterday, I believe that everything is a test. Social media post is a test. Anything that you put out there, your marketing is a test. If it goes well, you scale. If it doesn't, you tweak or you stop. So is finding your why. I'm going to try this business model. I'm going to try this business model. Is it my family? Is it money? Is it health and well-being? What do I love doing the most? I'm going to try this hobby, this passion, this profession. And then you will find it if you keep looking. You just have to keep looking and keep asking. But a lot of people are like, well, I can't do shit until I found my why. And so then they they do nothing. So hopefully that helps you. You may have found it, in which case that's great. But it's not the eureka be all and end all that a lot of people think it is. You can still, sorry. Well, A, it may have been there all the time. You may have known it unconsciously. You can still do stuff if you haven't found your why. Also, like people say, find your why. Like there's one thing. Well, I love my family. I love business. I love learning. I love cars. I love watches. I love hi-fi. It's not like, well, which one's my why? (laughs) 
Of course, my cars. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's probably, a, a, for some people, it's freedom. Yeah, it's just people overcomplicate it or people are like they put it as an obstacle and they don't mean to. They just like, oh, like, why am I not achieving? You know, why, am, why do I know what to do, but I'm not doing it? It must be because I haven't found my why. Maybe it's just because you're just starting out or you're just a little bit confused and overwhelmed. I, I don't like putting labels on myself and what I'm doing and where I'm going. Because as soon as I do that, I start to own it. I, I haven't found my why. That must be why I'm not doing X, Y and Z. Someone asked me on a podcast um, yesterday about what do you think about all these millennials? And I thought, well, I don't, I don't know what a millennial is. I know what a young person is. And I have met entitled young people. This is what the millennial generation is supposed to be, aren't they? Entitled and um, lazy and lacking loyalty in employment. I know many young people who are the hardest workers I've met. They put some of the non-millennial generation to shame. So to me, there is no millennial, there's no Generation X, there is no baby boomers. What there is, is a person, an, indiv an individual. Now, of course, if you're a politician, you're doing demographics, you need to know what they are, but, but I don't really. Um, and so I try not to label myself too much. If I'm struggling, why am I struggling? Oh, it must be because of this. Well, no, maybe it's just normal. And maybe I just need to have another go and try something else. Where did, did you find your wine in the toilets? <laughs> There's some JVs that occur in our toilets, you know. <laughs> I have heard. <laughs> See you later. Anyone up for a JV? Yeah. <laughs> right. God, it's all fine and respectful, and then I walk in and make it base and pond. Mike, did you have a question? What's your name, sir? Hi, Mike. Yeah, the why, similar to the why thing, because it changes, doesn't it? Your why changes. So I found, just to answer to you, is my why was myself, as you know, but then I've realised after a while, well, I'll do too much for myself. I need to find the why for me, as in the why for you. Yeah. So you need to find the why for you, as in the why. No, that's what happened. Yeah, exactly. And you need mentorship, and I'm on your ICMLE, and, and that's where I found my why, and know my worth, and all that, you've got me to write out hundreds of the grateful things or good things I'm brilliant at whatever it was um, and it's, and it does, it does, yeah. oh yeah what a shit thing to do fucking <laughs> wanker <laughs> that was wanky as fuck it's terrible it's hard though it was hard it's like, but then you start learning your why but for me um, it's, the, it's the fact that it constantly changes and it's that's a good point actually that you can have a why that's so outside of you you can sometimes self negate you can put yourself like, obviously, with what's happened with your son, it can be so much about your son. Well, what about me? I'm lost. I'm lost in this. Who's a, a mum in the room? Uh, keep your hand up if you've put your children so far ahead of you. You've kind of felt, well, what's my purpose? That would be pretty much every mum. Because, so, yeah, two hands. Exactly. Yeah. Give one away. Give the other away. Um, so that is a good point. The balance of the selfish and the selfless. Another paradox. Balancing of the selfish and the selfless is probably life mastery. You know, sometimes in business, you've got to double down and do some selling and put some money in the bank. And that's a selfish thing. Now, of course, you've got to deliver and create great service 
And that's the selfless element. Thanks, Mike. Right, who's next? What's your name, Yogesh? Hi, I'm Yogesh. Hi, Yogesh. Um, my wife asked me to disconnect my close family from the Facebook account so they don't see the deals I post and the profits I make. Do you have your close family on Facebook? Do they see your posts? Your close family? Um, what do you recommend? My dad doesn't know what Facebook is. <laughs> so he's not on social media. Um, my dad wouldn't care. Whatever you want, son. Um, my mum's connected with me on social media. She doesn't care. She's cool with whatever. So, no, I've not had that experience. I've not been asked to get rid of any of my family off social media. What, I think you can have it, but you could be a bit sneaky here. You can have the settings where you're still connected, but they don't see your posts. So you can say to your wife, oh, don't worry, they're not, they won't see any of my stuff. Yeah, you can. And also when you post, you can individually have it seeing some only X person sees it or X people don't see it. So what you can do is you can go in the drop down, you can exclude your wife and go, my fucking wife. <laughs> and then she won't see it. Just have some therapy. Ah! <laughs> hey, honey. Love you. <laughs> right, cool. Um, uh, yes. What's your name, Sally? Sally. Hi, Sally. Hello. Uh, my question is, what do you think is the best way to help somebody young person in particular who's attempted suicide. Okay. Um, so I'm not an expert in suicide prevention, just, just saying. But I have helped, spoken to on my 15-minute calls, a lot of people who have felt really lost. I think helping them find some value that they have in their life and something that they're good at, I think that that can really help. A bit like we said with... Who was that we said? Was it with... Yogesh, I think you asked about um, someone you know had really low self-worth. Yeah. You could definitely, I mean, the Samaritans are, are that, they're kind of there for that professionally, aren't they? And I, I think you find they usually just listen a lot. They're certainly not coaches. And I'm very careful with coaching people, i.e. I only coach when I've got permission. Because coaching without permission can be annoying or dan dangerous. So, look, every now and again, we all blurt our opinion where it's not wanted, like sometimes to my critics. But most of the time, that's what I try to do, only coach when I've had permission. Um, I interviewed someone, and you could reach out to her, actually. Her name's Nikki Perfect. She's lovely. She's a lovely person. And um, she, for many years, was a, she was a professional hostage negotiator and suicide prevention person. I don't know what the official title was, but she saved hundreds of people from suicide, just um, basically being there and helping them. And you wouldn't look at her and think, she's not like a glitzy one, like someone like Joe Navarro, who wrote how to, um, what everybody is saying. He was in FBI, I think, and he became an expert in body language. And you look at someone like him and you think, oh, that's what someone like that looks like. But Nikki, she's lovely unassuming, soft, kind. And I interviewed her on my podcast. And um, she said, usually when people get to the point of suicide, it's when they've got three things major in their life going wrong. And so what I try and do is pick one of them off. As soon, you know, if you've, if you've got three major, like you've got a relationship breakdown, maybe your mum's just passed away and your business has gone bust. 
And it's the three major things in your life is normally can break people. So she was talking about approaching and trying to improve one of those areas to get you back on track. That was one of her experiences. And I grilled her quite a lot on, on some of the things that she says and does to help people. But, you know, what an amazing job and what an amazing person. Often just someone being there to listen to them is kind of what they need. I mean, sometimes, well, a lot of the times, I think suicide attempts are cries for help and, and being noticed. So noticing people, are you okay? Um, Nikki Perfect, her name is, and it's on The Disruptive Entrepreneur. She's, she's, um, she's sworn by the Secrecy Act, and I tried everything I could to get her to blab it all. <laughs> I tried my hardest, but she was very professional. She had, you know, like, she just had a way of bouncing me off where I felt, oh, oh okay, I felt good about being rejected. Um, she is really good. All right, great. So it's my pleasure. Let me go through some of these points then, because I want to get everything I um, wrote down covered. All right. So I think this is absolutely vital. Um, Now, thinking about the practical realities of trying to improve your life, having a steely, strong, rejection proof mindset is obviously something I guess we'd all like to strive towards. And it's achievable, but it's hard. What is easier is getting rid of the influences in your environment that break your mindset. So, for example, don't watch really depressing TV. Do not. Do not hang around people who want you to lose. Only hang around people who want you to win. Do not hang around with people that drag you down. Hang around with people that lift you up. Do not take advice from those who have not got the credibility and the experience to give the advice, who are giving it away for free and without your permission. Social media is full of those people. Everything's a paradox. Social media is a gift and a curse all at the same time. So it is easier to choose who you hang around with and choose what you put in your brain than it is to completely change the wiring of your mind that has been wired that way for 30, 40, 50 or 60 years. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't, as an ongoing pursuit, try and improve your mindset. Uh, I'm a lifelong student of that for my, the benefit of myself and my community. But choosing your friends, choosing your mentors, choosing the people that you look up to, choosing your peer group, that's, e- that's way easier. You just hang around with the right people and move away from the wrong people. So getting a good mentor, being in a great mastermind, going on the right courses, hanging around in the right communities, Vital. Vital. One caveat. Your job should not be to hang around with everyone that goes, yes, Rob, you're great. Yes, Rob, you're great. Yes, Rob, you're great. Yes, Rob, I love you. Yes, Rob, you're great. (coughs) You need challenge as well as support. So anyone who's worked with me, I know there are some people in this room, your relationship with me over the year is not just me going, yeah, you're great. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah, you're great. I will usually challenge you. There's people in this room that are going, yep, Rob challenges me. I'll make you do things or I'll try to make you do things that are hard, that you know you should be doing, but you're not. When you come looking for sympathy for me, I'll often give you the opposite, which is, well, that's exactly what you need right now. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened. And I'm not saying that's the only way to mentor, but... A lot of people are happy to mentor people 
by being paid and telling people what they want to hear. And that's comfortable for the year. But then after the year or the six months or whatever, what are the results? You know, I believe if you're being mentored by me, for example, you're not paying me to get the same results you got last year. You're paying me to get much bigger results. Therefore, I have to challenge how you are now because how you are now is a result of what you've achieved now. So people come, oh, Rob, I'm getting criticized online. Oh, give me love. Give me sympathy. Oh, Rob, please. Of course, I come out with all, all the usual shit that's really annoying. Well, you know, you're just big enough now. It's a blessing. It's there to teach you a lesson. What's the lesson? Oh, fuck off. I just wanted you to say that I'm great. <laughs> um, when people are jumping from strategy to strategy to strategy to strategy, I'll go, go back to that one, it works. And then they'll go, they'll go back to that one, it works. And I'll go back to that one, it works. Why haven't you done that one? Why aren't you doing that one? And I can be fucking annoying. But usually people make money when they're mentored by me. And that, that to me is important. You know, like, would I rather you said, I liked working with Rob. Or would I rather you say, working with Rob was hard at times, but I've made 100 grand in the last 12 months? What, what would I rather? I think, now, it's really hard to hang around with a lot of people like that because it makes you feel inferior. But that's your maximum growth, remember, between the border of support and challenge. Now, I've been trying to, I've been trying to figure this out a lot. Now, so some very um, successful people who teach Say, oh, you know, you need to hang around with people more than successful than you. That's not the full story. You need to hang around with some people more successful than you. You also need to hang around with some people who are peers. And it's also good to help other people. So some people above you, some people beside you and some people beneath you. Because mentoring people feels great and it's good for your self-worth. Hanging around only with billionaires is going to be, it's going to be a, a hard experience. It's going to be, in the end, a good experience, but it's going to be a really hard experience. So above, equal, and below. But if you're going to choose more, it would be people who are a bit further down the line than you. Now, the only thing that will stop you, affordability is one thing that actually shouldn't stop you because if everyone can find the money they need. Everyone can. So the biggest thing that will stop you is ego. Now, I think people misunderstand ego. I think people think ego is bravado, puffery. Ego is jealousy, bitterness, defensiveness, and need to justify. It's all of those things that get in the way between you saying, yeah, I'm listening, and then you, oh, but no, no, that's not what I meant. Or... So how do you get your ego out of the way? Because I think ego can, it can be the biggest blockage for your growth. So here are some ways to do that. Number one is, if I'm going to label myself anything, I've never used the word expert to, um, to market what I am. So I always like to remind myself I'm a humble student. I, I quite like DJ Shadow. I know I'm, I'm getting a bit older and I don't have any, you know, no DJ Shadow. And um, there's a little, um, he plays lots of little cuts of music and puts them all together. He's a DJ, but he's also a drummer. And he's playing a, a drum solo and he sort of talks over it and he cuts it in. And he says, I'm a teacher of the drums, but I'm also a student of the drums. And that's how I like to see myself. I'm here teaching you, but I'm a student. 
And I know I can learn something from every one of you in this room. And I've learned a lot from every one of you in this room. In fact, I did a live feed this morning based on a conversation I had with someone in this room this morning who wanted a 15 minute call to have some help. And then I gave her some help. And then essentially the help I gave her was kind of content that could become a live. And then I did the live. So that was fair exchange. I didn't charge a fee. I got a live feed out of it. So that's, I think, a good place to be. Now, of course, the ego gets in the way sometimes. Like, you don't know what you're fucking talking about. Or um, you're just being critical here because it doesn't get delivered in the way that we want it to be delivered. But remember, we need to own what's being delivered, not in the way it's being delivered. Okay, cool. Next then. Um, If you're struggling with self-belief and confidence, I think belief not in where you are now, but belief in where you will be, I think that will really help you. Remember I said yesterday, every master was once a disaster, every winner was once a beginner. So when you're starting something, you have no proof. You just have hopefully faith. But if anyone can, you can too, as long as it's humanly possible. So believe not in where you are now, believe in where you will go. Believe not in who you are now, but who you will become. I've gone into some things in the 13 years in Progressive where I've not known what the outcome was going to be. But I've had a belief that I'll fix it, solve it, serve, figure it out as I go, not before I go. Now, for example, everybody who's raised finance, there's a day when they raise their first 50 grand or 100 grand. They've never done it before. They've never invested money before. Oh, what do I do with this? Buy a house. Oh, I don't really know what to do. Well, you've raised the money and now it's time to figure it out as you go. And you'll figure it out as you go. Now, if you do not put yourself out there, if you do not market and sell your products and services, then your competition will. Those that you don't like, those that you don't think do it fairly or ethically or credibly, they will win the share of business that you should be winning if you don't put yourself out there more. Now, I was, someone was speaking to me yesterday. We mentioned a few times the name of a, a, a newer trainer in the property space. And someone was talking to me about this person and someone else, basically saying that, you know, some of their services are maybe not as good um, because maybe they've not been doing it as long or they've been selling a lot in a short amount of time or maybe overpromising. And Progressive have greatly benefited from people whose service is not amazing. Now, we're not perfect either. Just saying. But we've gained a lot of business through maybe a lower service than some of our competitors. But we have to put ourselves out there and be known by them to attract that. So if you want to do good in the world, which I know a lot of you do, you want to do good in the world, you've got to put yourself out there and you've got to save everyone from your competition. And I know it sounds a bit Robin Hood-esque. You know, we need to be the Robin Hood saving people from them because they hear it time and time again. And of course, you're going to be able to do that in your industry. And I must admit, when I first thought about that, I thought, well, I'm just, it's just nonsense that I'm talking to myself. But having done this for 13 years, I see that now. And I know that it's my duty to make sure people get good education and good direction. Because I don't need the money anymore, I will give advice even if it means I don't get the money. But you need to be at the point where you don't need any more to be able to 100% do that. In the early days when people asked me for advice, 
I try and be balanced and neutral, but there's always going to be an element of, well, I want your business. So let's move on now to dealing with challenges. This was something that you as a supporter, supporters for life, um, just pay me your lifetime up front. Let's forget this direct debit shit. <laughs> £3.40, yeah, £3.49 a month. Only. Exactly, I don't need the money anymore. Touche, I ain't fucking getting any, so. Right, so dealing with challenges. I've mentioned this, but I will, I will say it again. The maximum growth, your maximum growth, moving towards the highest potential that you can be is on the border of support and challenge. It is not by being overly supported. Your ego will try and seek out maximum support, or it may. Some people's ego seeks out maximum challenge because it's almost like a sadistic beating themselves up because they don't think they're worth it. So everyone's different. Maximum growth on the border of support and challenge. Now, it's not soundbitey, anecdotal to talk about paradox. You know, like if Grant's answer to everything is 10x, but sometimes you should 2x. But it doesn't make us good for marketing. Well, sometimes 10x and sometimes 2x. It's not as good as it's not, you know, sometimes 10x and sometimes 2x, your life, motherfucker. It's not, it's not as good. But when you're down, sometimes you need lifting up. When you're up, sometimes you need pulling down. Maximum growth, according to Dr. John Demartini, is on the border of support and challenge. So your job is to put yourself in that environment as much as you can. Now, some of the things I think are fundamentally wrong with education and some, a, a more alternative, holistic view of life. And, oh, well, it's not about the winning. It's not about the taking part. And, oh, well, it's just about being happy. Some of the things I think are wrong about that education are as follows. Let me ask you a question. And think about it. When have you felt the most extreme sense of happiness, pleasure, elation, whatever. Think about it. Don't be rude. But when have you felt the, the deepest, strongest sense of happiness, elation and pleasure? And let me tell you when it's not. When you did fuck all. When you didn't win, you took part. The happiest moment in my life was when I was fifth. <laughs> no, I fucking wasn't. Just be, just about being. Well, if we all just be, we'll all sit here, hum fucking hymns and die together. Within a generation, gone. How do we get to the moon? How do we build rail? How do we share information at the speed of light? How do we come, overcome all disease? How do we get electricity? 10,000 fucking failed experiments. That's how you got light. 10,000 failed experiments. So I argue, and I've studied this, Dr. David Lieberman, David J. Lieberman, he defines happiness as, and you want to write this down word for word, because this, this is deep, but it's simple. Happiness is, and I quote, progress towards a worthy goal. And there's all this, oh, well, meditate to be happy. 
Happiness is just being, not judging, accepting. Well, yes, that can create, that can get rid of the stress, but that is not the purpose of life and the meaning of happiness, in my opinion. And I want to change the dialogue on this. So this guy, David J. Lieberman, is a scientist and he's done various experiments. And he says, progress towards a worthy goal. So let's look at each word except uh. (laughs) Right. So progress. Progress is not standing still, sitting still, crossing your legs and meditating. Progress is forward momentum. Not backward momentum, not sitting still. It's progress. Towards, i.e. in the direction moving to something. Not sitting still and not away from something. To something. Worthy, i.e. significant, meaningful, challenging, big, chunky, outrageous. Something that matters. Goal. Something that you would like to achieve that's beyond you is a goal. That, according to David J. Lieberman, a scientist, is the definition of happiness. And I agree. So think of the happiest moments in your life. When you overcame a massive challenge, when you solved something really, really hard. Like any musicians in the room, you know, when you could play a piece that's really complicated. Speakers in the room. When you stood on stage and delivered a a near-perfect 30-minute speech through hours and hours of practice and fear and and worry. You know, when you achieve something great with your children, but they don't just do it. You've got to... It's like playing chess, trying to move all the pieces. So, of course, from time to time, letting go, accepting, meditating and just being is vital to recharge your brain. But that, too much is not progress. So your challenges are where your happiness comes from. The solving of, but the paradox is, it's also where your pain comes from. So for me, it's about having a a dialogue, uh, almost like a, I don't actually know what this means, but I'm going to ask you to define this word. What does sadomasochistic mean? Does it mean inflict pain upon yourself for pleasure? Look at you like, I don't know. Of course you all fucking know. You're pretending you don't. Uh, um, that's masochism. Okay. So masochism is infi- inflicting pain upon yourself for pleasure. That's how I see my challenges. Inflicting pain upon myself for pleasure. <laughs> Do you want to get into this biggest challenge and deal with it? Honestly, no. You'd rather it fucking went away or someone else dealt with it. But you go, roll up the sleeves, fix the problem. So I think that is my little definition. So when you solve meaningful problems, what happens? Shout out some answers. Right, okay. So unfortunately, yes. When you solve a big meaningful problem, your reward is a fucking bigger one. (laughs) That is your reward. And I'll tell you why that's great in a moment. What else happens when you solve meaningful challenges? You feel amazing, undeniable. It is hard to recreate that feeling without solving problems. Yeah, cool. What else? You grow. 
that problem no longer becomes a problem. That problem that's been the monkey on your back persisting for years, you finally deal with it, it goes away. You're wishing your problems would go away. The only way they go away is by you solving them away. So growth, exactly. What else happens? You increase your self-worth and confidence. The bigger challenges you can overcome, the better you feel about yourself. What else happens? Someone said knowledge. Yep. So you get more knowledge, which uh, that's one of the factors of external proof of confidence and self-belief. What else happens? Yes. Each time you solve a problem, you get better and nearer solving a bigger one. What else happens? This is important. This is what all of these are right, but this was the one I was really after. You show others what's possible. Therefore, society views you as a leader. Therefore, you get recognition, reward, revenue, impact, reach, followers, fans. So one of the things that takes me through dealing with problems I don't want to deal with is I go, I know that people are going to respect me for this. I know I'm going to, the rising of tide lifts all ships. So I do this and I'm going to earn respect. People are going to look at me and go, yep, I'm with Rob. And therefore, they're going to buy my books and courses and programs. This is a very valuable point. It's just the quickest way to become a leader. Yes, the more challenges you solve, the more comfortable you feel being uncomfortable. Oh, Abby, um, would, would someone mind going to get my coffee? <laughs> Thanks, Sean. <laughs> get for it, JB. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a new word for it. I'm off for a JV. Yeah. Okay, cool. I've got two or three points left, then I can do about 20 minutes Q&A. All right. So I hope you're finding this useful. Here's the test. This is, I believe, wisdom and mastery. Because, you know, we talk a lot about gratitude. Everyone talks about gratitude. Well, the thing that people don't tell you about gratitude is the following. It's very easy to be grateful when things are going well. And what a lot of people do with gratitude is they are grateful when things are going well. It is much more of a challenge to be grateful when things are hard. So if you can practice, they say practice gratitude. The key is in the language, i.e. it is something you practice. So if you can practice being grateful for your challenges, Life mastery, wisdom, emotional mastery and balance, they are the rewards. So a challenge happens, your chimp or child brain goes, why now? Well, if it wasn't now, it wouldn't be a challenge. So it has to be now. Um, Why me? Blah, blah, blah. And then you go, okay, well, this challenge is here for a reason. I'm grateful to have this challenge. How can I solve this challenge? So uh, some ways to be grateful for a challenge uh, and write this down, by the way. One is it could have been a lot worse. And let's be fucking honest. There are a lot of people in the world who have to walk 20 miles for water that could probably kill them. So let's be honest. A lot of our problems, most of them, not all, because I know some of you have had some hard stuff in your life. Most of our problems are first world problems. Uh, The thing I say to myself in my head a lot when I'm feeling like I'm being a bit of a victim is, First world problem, Rob. First world problem. So one, it could be worse. Two, first world problem. Three, I get to show the world what I'm about by solving it. Four, 
The lessons that are in it, you'll see. If you're grateful for your problems, the lessons you need that are hidden in it, you'll find. Cool. Right, we've got 19 minutes and 53 seconds left. What's your name, sir? Hi, Andy. Right, I think, I think getting to know your ego is step one. Because our ego is not always what we think it is. And what people define ego as is also not what it always is. At school, oh, he's egotistical, i.e. he's cocky. Well, sometimes your ego is defensiveness. It's a protection mechanism. It's resentment. It's becoming a victim. Sometimes it's secondary gain by playing a victim to get someone's attention, i.e., you know, when people pretend to be ill or um, sulk or whatever as a method of attention. That's ego. So it's everything. It's judgment. It's the wall between your true self and all the things you've learned as you've grown up. So my ego would be, I, I have a bit of an authority complex. I don't like being told what to do. I don't really know where that came from. It doesn't really matter. So something that I've tried to adapt and learn is by um, having people, allowing people to tell me what to do, even though the hierarchy of the structure of employment would suggest I should be telling them what to do. And I see it as a great skill. If people feel comfortable enough in giving me instruction and feedback, that's one. Getting told off. I fucking hate getting told off. Um, I, I used to piss around at school a lot. I used to get bollocked all the time. Um, so getting told off is a trigger for me. And I immediately want to like, you know, fuck you or whatever. Um, so... Uh, Embracing being told off. So I get told off quite a lot. But now I see it as a gift that people feel comfortable enough to tell me off. Because it would be my ego of, as a defense mechanism of me if people were scared to tell me off. So Mark feels comfortable enough to tell me off. Catherine, our MD, feels comfortable enough to tell me off. And thanking them for the feedback, but I can't say that anymore because everyone knows what that means, fuck you. So I have to use different words. Um, <laughs> so that, that, that's it. Like, my attitude towards my competition, I've had to completely rewire my brain on how I perceive competition because when I was an artist, everyone was wrong. Everyone was shit, even though I felt I was shit. And it was like it was a fight. And now I know that my competition keep me honest. I know that I learn from all of my competition. I know that where they, they fail, we can improve. I know that where they're good, I can model. I know that when they do things well, that can give me renewed energy and um, hunger. Because when you've been doing it 13 years and you want to go another 13 and another 13, you're going to need moments where you're going to need external motivation because keeping it internal is a challenge. And I know that there were points, probably two years ago, I didn't really do any work for a whole year. I was just traveling to the world championships with my son playing golf. None of our, there was no competition. We, and then when the new ones come in and they make noise, it's both annoying and a great gift at the same time. But it's my ego that would see all the downsides, not the upsides. 
So it's, it's seeing the paradoxical balance of your ego. Uh, and um, an ability to take feedback is an ability to get your ego out of the way. Because let's be honest, having someone tell us what's wrong with us is not comfortable. So for me, that's part, part of life mastery is not just being able to take it, but people feeling, com- feeling comfortable to give it. Because that shows that they don't feel that they're going to get ridiculed or have you defend if they give you feedback. Now, I can't learn everything about what my company should be on my own. I need you. I need all your ideas. So if I can't take feedback, all I'm doing is atrophying the growth of my company. Your fears are your ego. I'll give you another example. And it really comes through speaking on the stage. I know many of you in this room want to become a speaker. I believe if you want to master yourself the most, one of the models and practices that will help you get there the quickest is public speaking. Public speaking is the most transmutable confidence skill I've ever learned. You know, I've done some things quite well. I was good at some sports. I've got black belt and martial arts. I've done a few things that I'm quite good at. But out of everything that I've done, I've got quite good at. Nothing has increased the confidence in all other areas of my life as much as public speaking. Because if you can stand on the stage and bear your soul and make people laugh and influence them and move them and educate them, I mean, man, that's gift, that's power. Um, and in your speaker journey, you start being really nervous, so you're very humble, too humble. And then when you have a couple of ge- good gigs, you're like, oh, yeah, bring it. A bit like you were, Julian, you know, oh, yeah. Oh. And then what happens is it becomes about you and not them. And that's when you have your first massive fall your first epic fail on stage. So I do my best to make speaking about you and not about me. A Q&A has to be about you because you asked the question and the ability for you, anyone to ask and for me to go on a deep dive on it. Now, of course, I want to have fun too. And that's the selfish, selfless paradox. That's a really good test of your ego. Paul, what's your name, sir? Hi, Paul. Yeah. So, yes, I probably did for a little while. I'll tell you what I believe I'm quite good at. This has a downside because everything does. I'm pretty good at chucking myself into something all in full immersion. I'm an obsessive guy and I get obsessed about a lot of things. And when I get obsessed, I'm all in. Like if I listen to an album, I'm one of those really annoying people. I listen to it a thousand times. My wife hates it. A thousand to over and over until I'm singing it at night in my head. I can hear the album. Um, so that's good because I can get known for something quite quick. So that's actually a good strategy to model. I'm pretty sure. I can't remember exactly, Paul. I know I had lots of insecurities going from art to property. I can't remember it being all about, well, people know me for art. So maybe they're not going to think I'm a property guy. Thanks, Jamie. I do think I did have that with my mates. Because I'm like, here, here Robbie's off on another thing. But now when people say, oh, here Robbie's off on another thing, they have to kind of take it a bit seriously now. Oh, Rob's writing another book. Yeah, you know, that'll probably do all right. Oh, Rob's setting up another training course. Yeah, well, that'll probably do all right. So in the end, you can prove them wrong. And I love proving people wrong. And by the way, to be able to prove people wrong, just, they have to be wrong.
i.e. they have to say to you at the start, you can't do that, you're going to fail. So who likes the idea of proving people wrong? So don't fucking moan when they moan about you. Because they have to moan about you for you to prove them wrong. <laughs> so, um, so coming back to this, Paul, I'm going to get there. Tangent, that should be my, my middle name. Um, so for a little while, I think I felt, oh, all my mates are going to be thinking, oh, I'm off on a new fad or I thought you were doing art. But I, I got so immersed, I didn't really have time to think about it. And like for me, and there's downside to this as well, but for me, my therapy is always my work. I actually like to call my work my art. Of course, people will think that's a bit fluffy. But my work is my art, just like my art was my art. And if there's an insecurity, I tend to just go, my art is my therapy. Because if you do... 10 hours a day or you just consume in your new world. You haven't got time to think about what they're saying about you or judging you or whatever. So that works for me. Now, to some degree, if there's deep rooted issues and you go into your work as your therapy. You don't fully deal with the deep rooted issues. So I get that there's that downside. And for me, my my art, my work is also an addiction. But it's more healthy than many. So I would say, one, yes, I probably experienced it a bit. Two, deep immersion in your new subject will really help. And three, start telling people about it. It's pretty impressive you've done a £2.5 million bridge. So you need to let everyone know about that pretty damn quick. Well, there you go. So you tell people about it. First off, they might be surprised. They might go, I thought you did X. Yeah, but then that's, that's got to be the first step. So you just got to get out of the way as quick as you can. You know when the swimming pool is freezing fucking cold? Just jump the fuck in. Jump in. Ah! It's actually quite good. <laughs> I've got such painful memories of swimming at school, I can tell you. Oh, my life. Right, cool. We've got eight minutes and 22 seconds. What's your name, sir? Hi, Phil. Okay. I think it's really important, this goes for everything in your life, to look at the facts. And emotion gets in the way of the facts. So let's look at the facts. How much money is there in the world? Well, there's an infinite either amount or opportunity to have. I think there's, there, when I did the research for money, there was 56 trillion in currency, not including gold. Definitely wasn't including crypto back then. And that's just currency. But money is a universal exchange of value. It's not currency. Currency is different. Money is a universal exchange of value. That's infinite. How many opportunities are there in the world? An infinite amount simultaneously at any one time. If you, if you believe in unified field, the, unified field theory, past, present and future, infinite simultaneous opportunity. If you believe that. Now, even if I'm wrong, I'd rather believe that than more. There's fuck all opportunity. <laughs> I remember when he used to think there's no nice women in Peterborough. I was right. <laughs> because of what I saw not because of what there was or wasn't <laughs> so I believe there is infinite opportunities abundance solutions in the universe that we live in I mean it's mind blowing that they used to think that there was one um, un- one galaxy and now they show all these amazing visuals that there are 
possibly even an infinite amount of galaxies. It is so mind-blowing how small we are and how big the universe is and therefore how many opportunities there are. Like every minute of every day, there is an infinite amount of opportunity. And think about business. There's Facebook, there's YouTube, there's Instagram, there's Twitter, there's LinkedIn. There's so many opportunities now. So I guess it's busting through the fear, the fear of loss. You know, like, oh, I've got my mortgage, oh, I've got my kids. If I take a risk, I might lose it all. But remember, if you don't risk anything. Are you ready, sir? You risk everything. <laughs> and I really believe that. And I know at points in my journey at Progressive, when my growth has been slow, it's because I've bought into what people have said, don't grow too fast. 20% a year growth at the age of your company is pretty good. This year, on January the, January the 2nd, I decided to ignore the dialogue that I'd had in my head, which is 20% a year is good growth from here on in. I remember when I studied Microsoft and Bill Gates, 50% year-on-year growth for something like 10 years. And we were doing that. Microsoft-level growth. And then someone said to me, who was like pretty experienced in business, when you're a mature business, 20% growth. And I, I bought it and I owned it. We're up 37% this year already because I decided not to accept it. Now, there's been some extra work involved in that and me getting in and, you know, there's been some cost to that. Just decide not to accept that there are no opportunities, that things are hard. And I know it's a little bit fluffy. My next book's called Opportunity, um, where I'm going to talk about that subject of creating opportunities and spotting opportunities. Well, it's a pleasure. What's your name? Hi, Joe. Yeah, I've got plenty of advice on this. Um, there is no right or wrong answer. There's a paradoxical view, as always. Um, what is your vision? Because you can be Apple or you can be Trump. Trump, everything is the name. Apple is Apple. And when Steve Jobs passed away, I thought it's going to be really hard for Apple to keep going. Fair play. They kept going. They got a new, a good new CEO. And of course, it's, it was not all about Steve Jobs. It was about Apple. I made the decision that what was most important to me was for progressive property and my companies and brands to outlive me. And therefore, they couldn't be called Rob Moore. So one of the accidental stroke of genius it's simple, but it was quite genius. And it was Mark, not me. Mark and I were trying to name our company. And, you know, back then people were calling it their name. You know, there's some trainers that call it after their name. And we were, we, Mark came up with the name Progressive. And I said, that's, that's a bloody good name. And he said, yeah, I, I knew a company called Progressive Design and I just ripped it off. Because um, Mark believes in copying. Let them do the testing. Like Mark's the last person in his friendship to have a baby because he watched all of his mates have one. <laughs> he watched the, the split test and then he had one at 13. You think I'm fucking joking. <laughs> no, and he, he learned everything from me, what to do, what not to do, how to do it, not to do it. And then he had his kid. And that's what Mark's like in everything. He let you take the risk. I'm his trailblazer. He sends, you know, he sends me out into the field with the machine gun. Ah! And then if I get shot, he knows where not to go. And if I don't, he follows me. Yeah. 
Now that's why I'm a good mentor. <laughs> um, so, what was the question again? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just playing. So the benefit of calling progressive progressive was that it's not robbermark.com. Now, it was all about Robbermark for many years, and then we decided, look, we want to grow, so we need to step back. Now, obviously, you know, we've got many great trainers. Tony does public speaking. Downstairs, we've got David Siegler and Katie doing deal packaging. We've got Jamie, who's you know, great at business and also deal packaging. He's got a brilliant business. We've got Kevin McDonald, No Money Down. Um, we've got Kev, um, Kevin Paneskis, Service Accommodation. I could go on and on and on. Now, there was a day when I ran most of those, if not all of those courses. But I committed to training the trainers and getting out of the way. Now, getting out of the way was a big part ego and it was a big part fear. The ego was no one could do it as good as me. You know, look at me, I'm the master trainer. The fear was if I move out, the conversions will go down. My reputation will go down because they might not look after people as good as me. But you can get over that by teaching them well. So the way to pivot from and to, Joe, is the following. You start training them and teaching them what you know. You have to be patient. You have to let them fail. You start giving them work at a lower fee and you work at a higher fee. So people can still get you. It's just a higher fee. And then over time, you bump their fees up as their skills go up. I actually still do some work. I'd still run mentoring programs. They're just higher fees. And that's how we've done it. So if you only ever want to be a, a one-man band or you really want your name on the front of something, that's fine. It's just always got to be about you. But that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted growth. I wanted impact and reach. And I knew for impact and reach, I had to move the ego away of my own name. Yeah. Yeah, well, Armani and Gu- Gucci, they're, um, are they owned by LMVH? I think they may be. I'm pretty sure they're not owned by the family anymore. Um, Valentino was bought out not a million years ago, I think by LMVH. Um, Fashion is slightly different in that the name can also be the brand. So Alexander McQueen is his name, but it's also the brand. And in some areas like Ferrari. So if, if it usually has to be going 20, 30, 40, 50 years, if you make the name the brand, it can grow without you. But the way that those companies did was they got bought out by a massive company that knows how to grow fashion houses. So if you want your name to stand over time, you've, that's the thing that you've got to think about. But for me, the name Progressive is way more important than the name Rob Moore. Must, sounds like a Lamborghini. Someone's fucking nicked it. <laughs> time to go. 